point. Martinez back. Track. Wall. See ya. He did it in style. He joins the 3,000 hit club with a home run. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to Episode 8 of Breaking Balls. I'm Emily Nyman, and we're here with John Snyder. And this week, we are going to have a little bit more fun than we had last week. Last week was a little serious, so now we're going to kick it off with uh, our opening. We're going to talk about... The last dance and some ideas that we would have for some MLB last dance. Uh, talk about uniforms and um, just uh, anything else that comes to mind. So, John, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. This is uh, I've now officially participated in half of the Breaking Balls episodes. That's pretty exciting. Oh my God, are you kidding me, dude? It's episode eight already. Time flies when you are just hearing yourself talk. Am I right? Yeah, time flies when you're quarantined and time has lost all meaning. So uh, before we jump into things, I want to touch on the opening because last week we ran out of time for anyone who caught that episode. It was, of course, that famous home run by Aaron Boone hit in Game 7 of the 2003 ALCS off Tim Wakefield, and it sent the Yankees to the World Series. So this week we started off with another big hit, and you know I'd have to bring him back eventually. It was A-Rod's 3,000th hit. Now, I, I forgot about this, John. And I was very, very excited to see this again, that A-Rod hit his 3,000th hit, and it was a home run off Justin Verlander, who is, like, my <laughs> most loathed Major League Baseball player. I just hate his face. I, I, I appreciate the talent, but I just hate him so much. So I got a big old grin when I saw that. It was his uh, A-Rod's 667th home run of his career and also his 2004th RBI of his career. That was pretty special. He um, That was obviously the year that he came back after he was suspended all of 2014. And that was sort of like a, a resurgence sort of season for him. Obviously, it was nothing like it is now as far as people loving him. But uh, it's some poetic justice off Verlander. And John, I don't know. I've, John's not much of an A-Rod fan. Are you, John? You kind of hate him, don't you? No, I would not say that I hate A-Rod. Um, I didn't like him when he was a player. But since he retired, it's been bumped up to I'm indifferent about A-Rod now, which is an improvement. It's a good thing. Yeah, I was going to say, I will absolutely take that. Right, because my big takeaway from this is the Verlander aspect, because I'm right there with you. I love watching Verlander pitch, and that's pretty much where I draw the line with Justin Verlander. He's kind of a dick. We actually talked about this right before the first episode that I did. We didn't wind up touching on it, but... uh, Verlander was summed up for me 100%. Do you remember that? I think it was on Twitter or Instagram. He sent out that picture of him in quarantine with his family, basically holding them hostage as he forced them to watch the replay of his no-hitter, like on the couch in their family room. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yep, okay, that's Verlander for you. Because I'm real like this, I will bring up that it's pretty funny and almost like a double standard that I obviously hold because I put A-Rod on a pedestal. A story, and obviously, if this is to be believed, it's from that uh, the documentary Screwball. It's Anthony Bosch, so take it <laughs> as you will, people. But he had said that you know when he walked into A Rod's apartment, his all white apartment, that he just had like highlights 
reel of himself playing on the TVs, and he was like, he used it for motivation. That, and I feel that, like, using it for motivation, but it is kind of funny to walk into somebody's place, and they just have, like, a looped video, like, as if it's a fucking car dealership, but it's just clips of them, like, hitting home runs and making plays. I feel like that's if you walked into a ball player's house on The Simpsons. That's, like, how they would interpret it. Just, like, a mansion with replays of themselves on repeat on videos, screens all over the, the house. I mean, I feel like I would. Like, even though I would do anything, like, if I became rich and famous, I would just have, like, pictures of myself, maybe. Maybe I would just have, like, let's say this podcast takes off. I've, it's just, like, clips of us talking into a microphone <laughs> on all the TVs in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be sorry to be part of that uh, that decor. I feel like I'm bringing it down a little bit for you. Oh, thanks, John. Well, I have standards. Yeah, that's true. So John and I were talking about, um, you know, we obviously both watched The Last Dance just like everyone else in oh, yeah. the sports fan world. And it was really excellent, really, really well done. You always like seeing some, and even when it's like one of the most famous athletes to ever live, like Michael Jordan, you always like seeing the behind the scenes sort of stuff that it really it can help even just bring a tiniest bit of perspective to fans to sort of see that, you know, these they're people too, and they go through their own trials and tribulations, and they're affected. Yeah, it's humanizing, uh, sure. Exactly. So John and I then were obviously sort of throwing around some ideas about what we would love to watch, a last dance, like a 10-part series. And it's hard to think about because there are so many players that we just don't know that much about. So it's almost like, do I want to watch a 10-part series about this guy? Because it's really rolling the dice because you know nothing about like so many baseball players. Right. But... The one that stuck out to me the most and right in my head was immediately um, Josh Hamilton. And I would say a five-parter for like the individuals because I, part of the lore with this last dance was that it was about the players themselves, but it was also about their that like championship run. Right, so yeah, there was a lot been... of MJ flashbacks, but then like Phil Jackson got one, Steve Kerr got one. Like it, it was really about the Bulls with a spotlight on Michael. Right, exactly. So if we're going to, you know, obviously the uh, Rangers didn't really have any... Uh, and your real championship runs recently. <laughs> Josh Hamilton. No, they did not. No. Uh, Josh Hamilton, though, that was such like a crazy story where he, you know, suffered with substance abuse problems and then he fought back into the league and then he ended up, you know, by 2010 becoming MVP, uh, AL MVP. And I'm pretty sure he was like the ALCS MVP that season too. It was the Rangers made it to the playoffs. And he had that sick all-star game. Remember, I think it was 2008, they had the all-star game at Yankee oh, Stadium. Oh, where he just went off, right? Yeah, and I don't even think he won that. I think that he did he win that or I think he had like one unreal a few rounds and he like made it to the very end, but it was really inspiring cuz he had like just come back from drug addiction. Right, and I, that story really overshadowed what the actual results were. So I, I don't remember, but I remember he was that was that was a big deal that it was like, "Oh, it's Josh Hamilton." And and I mean, if you've ever I'm sure you have, but just in general, people should take the time to read that story cuz it's go down that Wikipedia hole, man. It is it's insane, it's, it's sad, it's tragic, but it's it's a baseball story, that's for sure. And I totally agree, and much to that end, sorry to, I'm just going to come in with a number two right before you jump in. Do you remember Evan Gaddis? He was on that Astros, that 2017 team. He was a DH, like a stocky I'm picturing like dude. a stocky guy like with some like, like a small facial hair, like a soul patch or something like that. Is that the yeah, guy? Yeah, pretty much. I like, think and, I know who you're talking about. And he had a, a similar, almost a similar story just in that he was, you know, like a phenom coming out of high school, was projected to sort of go early in the ra- in the draft in 2004. Oh, but then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm, and then he like said that he was going to go to college, so he didn't get drafted. But then he started messing around with substances 
you know, and then he had a crazy, like, he played a little bit in college and then he sort of dropped out because he hurt himself. Then he yeah, was didn't like a he come back internationally or something like that at first? Was he that guy? No, I don't know. I don't think that was him. With him, he had like a million different jobs. He was like a valet and then he was a janitor with his brother and like living. Yes, in- I remember the custodian thing. Yeah, right? yeah. And then he came back and, you know, he didn't have anything like uh, Hamilton did. No. where he was like MVP, but he still came back and won a World Series. Well, that's why Hamilton's story is more well-known. And I mean, no disrespect to Evan Gaddis whatsoever, but arguably even more tragic because even through his struggles and as you know, he was having all these bad times and personal issues, you could still see that talent. And that talent would rear its head once in a while and just drop your jaw with Josh Hamilton. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. What about yours? Here's... <laughs> And uh, I should I should start with the disclaimer. Whenever we start to do lists like this, I always feel like uh, I wind up arguing about the parameters of uh, of what we're doing rather than making valid suggestions. And I just don't want you thinking that this time is any different. So uh, <laughs> no. So my, the one thing that I struggle with this is you're right. It's the last dance is the Bulls and it's MJ, right? So right. basketball was kind of unique in they had the convergence of their greatest player of all time happening in the modern era, right? Right. It's like the, the Bulls win the six championships. That's obviously not only because of Michael. It's it's a team sport, but, you know, that's not going to happen without Michael Jordan there, right? That's what's unique is I don't know if baseball has had that level star. And when I say that level star, again, that's no disrespect to anybody that's, you know, currently playing or played recently. I'm just saying – the way that like when you have a conversation with a basketball fan, eight or nine out of 10 of them on the street will just tell you, you know, it's like, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Michael Jordan. End of sentence. Can you really say that about a baseball player that's played since 1990? Like end of sentence without that level of argument? That's a great point because obviously, you know, since PEDs, it's made Barry Bonds so polarizing that even that you have a lot of people that would not say Bonds because of the PEDs. And a lot of Yankee fans would arguably, you know, they'd say Derek Jeter because that's who they equate to someone like a Jordan, you know, won multiple championships. That, that was on my list. Yeah, exactly. Sorry to interrupt you, but exactly because of that, because Jeter, while again, not maybe not in the greatest player of all time, bar none conversation, he's still in that conversation of modern superstar that came damn close to transcending the sport and also had some great championship years that went along with him. You know, not every great player gets both of those uh, to be great and to get championships out of it. But that's what really solidifies it when somebody is able to do that. So yeah, Jeter was definitely on that list with a question mark for me. A lot of these guys, I, I guess why I preface with that is a lot of these guys on my list, they all have a question mark next to them because it's like, yeah, you could do a documentary series on them, but is there as much material to mine as there was for The Last Dance? I don't think there is. Like the, the first couple that occurred to me, Babe Ruth, that's kind of too easy, right? Isn't that kind of boring? And like, exactly that. It's like there's so – because we only know so much. It was the 1920s yeah. that I feel like that's already been mined as much as – like that That mine is going to collapse at some point exactly. if anyone tries to go back into it. And two episodes in, you're already going to have the argument of like, oh, well, if he had played against modern players, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, it's already going to have the rug pulled out from it before they start. I had the same thought with Jackie Robinson. And of course, absolutely no disrespect to Jackie Robinson. But uh, they had the movie recently and it was great. Chadwick Boseman kicked ass. I loved that movie. But is there really like a last dance level thing to be made out of it? 
Maybe with all of the, you know, the social and, and racial ramifications of what happened, sure. But was his playing career, aside from that, really that interesting? He was really good. You know, he made all-star teams. He put up great numbers. Did he just win that one championship with Brooklyn? That's a, a great lead-in for me to say that I care. Like, I obviously appreciate the history and the audit, but it's all, it's so disinteresting to me because it's so dry. It's so dry. Like, it's just, baseball right. now is fairly dry. And the, these are the years, like, since, you know, the a little bit of the 80s, but the 90s, the early 2000s, the 2010s, and now, it's like, these are my bread and butter. The stories from this era are what interests me the most. So from back then, I'll watch, you know, a documentary. We've been watching uh, the Ken Burns' baseball recently. And nice. it's great, but it's it's like almost being in history class. And yeah. that's then <laughs> jumping into the realm of like, okay, now I feel like this is a chore, and I feel like I have to watch it. And then I'm sitting there like, why the fuck am I watching this? I'm not getting graded <laughs> on this. Why am I just like, oh, I got to stick it out? Wait, there's no test at the end? Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so like I, I think that's – and then that brings me to another point, uh, which is pretty closely related. Even the Michael Jordan story, could you have made The Last Dance 10 interesting hour-long episodes if they hadn't coincidentally had – if ESPN, I mean, hadn't coincidentally had permission from the Bulls in 1998 to follow them around? They just no happen to have all that. That's what I'm saying. So you take any one of these stories in isolation. They're all great in their own way. They're fantastic sports stories. So many fantastic sports figures. We just don't have the footage to do it. I think that the closest that we could get is um, the Yankees from, you know, the 2000s because they won on those runs, you know, year after year after year. like And maybe make it like uh, four. Sort well, of that's thing. what I'm saying. Yeah, core four, and then maybe bring A Rod into the mix, and you know, bring in another superstar. I feel like that could be an interesting documentary that about one state out of the country would be interested in. Exactly. That's the that's the problem. And also, even though the Yankees do have a lot of like with the Bulls, and for right now, you could do even the Cowboys in the '90s. Like that's why I think that even it would be outside of New York too, because those teams by being dynasties, much like the Patriots now, and now even. A little, not the Red Sox, but the Patriots winning years in a row is that now there's fans all over the country because like right. whenever that happens, it just picks up like every young fan and sort of either turns them into a complete hater or they're now like a Yankee fan living in Texas or you know what I mean? Like, which so I'm sure is not an easy existence. Oh my God. No, not, not anymore. They're not Yankee fans anymore. They've totally jumped ship at this point. They have to, to survive, but I feel like you'd be able to get away with it with them, except and I, I'm going to feel some pushback probably from Yankee fans that listen to this, but baseball has done such a good job of making the players, like, of literally beaning them into submission and having no personality whatsoever on the field mm -hmm. that there's nothing compelling about them. You know what I mean? That they're so robotic. And that's even Derek Jeter. And Derek yeah. Jeter, you know, was one of the most, you know, a fierce competitor. And he was in 100% in every game that he played, whether it was a regular season game, postseason. So but he had a lot of a tenacity. a warm cup of coffee his personality was. Oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing like, there. <laughs> and that's the thing. And, like, that worked for him. And it, it really worked out in the sense that fans were able to project any sort of, like, any sort of personality onto him that they really wanted to because he was very much that company man like Mr. Steinbrenner this and Mr. Steinbrenner that the guy that never had anything weird to say to the press never had uh, any sort of facial expressions when talking with the press if it wasn't that smile so same thing with Mariano Rivera and Andy Pettit it's like 
what are they going to talk about? Andy Pettit you, admitting to using HGH, him going to the Astros weirdly for one year. Like, besides oh, yeah, that, that's there's right. nothing that compelling about any of their stories. No, there's not. And I thought, so w- w- when I came full circle with it, I think the answer is if you got to go modern and you got to go dynasty, as much as it kills me as a Mets fan, you probably could if you had to. Despite, and I agree with what you said about the lack of personality, and I think that basketball players in some ways are allowed to have more personality than baseball players. I think it, it would have to be about the Yankees and about multiple players, um, especially Jeter and A-Rod. Because then like another really interesting one would be Ted Williams, but he has the same problem as Babe Ruth and Jackie Robinson. There's no footage. You know, He has super interesting aspects, you know, hitting 400, uh, the middle of his prime, he went and served in the military. Like there's super interesting stuff there. But there's just not enough physical material to back it up. So I think I may have found a sweet spot. It may or may not work, but the best I could come up with, I know I'm fast forwarding to my number one, is Roberto Clemente. Because I think Roberto Clemente has one of the most interesting stories ever. It sadly ended in tragedy, but he has a legacy that a lot of players could only dream of, especially for somebody whose career was cut short. And I guess you could make the argument that that's part of it, but you know, it's all tied together. But Clemente, I think, played just late enough and was part of some of those good pirate teams that you probably have enough footage to back it up. Maybe do like, you know, veer off to the side and do like a a Pittsburgh Steelers 70s dynasty episode, do an episode about like Doc Ellis and some of the characters on, you know, from the pirates. And I feel like that could work. Yeah, I agree. I think that to be honest, that any of these would have to be, it would, they would be suited better for like a five part because a lot of that yeah. 10 part was because they were purposely filming everything, the practices and everything. And just the way the game is like in basketball, that it's sort of like is conducive for this sort of footage where you can have like, they're, they're having practices in a gym together like that. Like just like going over plays, like almost like what you don't picture pros to do. You know, like I feel like a lot of people think that pros don't really practice like that. So it's really interesting to get that sort of perspective where the behind the scenes stuff is the best. I loved it. Right. And in baseball, you know, they're, they're out in the cage they're hitting off line pitching, but because it's such a spread out sort of sport, it doesn't have those moments like where you're seeing them, you know, posting up in a court and stuff like that. No, no getting in each other's faces and everything. So that's why like in baseball, it would be, uh, it would have to be shortened. Cause even if they did film the practices, it's not that interesting. You would have to be more intrusive to do it with baseball, right? Cause then what are you going to do? Have just, I mean, they practically do this, I guess, but like just going to have cameras like right up in the dugout, like in basketball, you know, you're, you're on the sidelines and the court is pretty small and all the presses, you know, everybody's right on top of each other in basketball. Besides the fact that they already had the access level that they had in 1998, the fact that it was basketball rather than some of the other sports, I think helped too, you know, cause you got like football and hockey, you know, they're, they're wearing all these heavy pads and helmets and it's hard to make out what people are saying. Like you said, baseball is so far spread out. Basketball is all cramped right in front of it. It's guys wearing shorts and jerseys and sweatpants just sitting next to each other on folding chairs talking to each other. So I think it was really the perfect storm of stuff happened for ESPN to make this. And I think they really capitalized on it and, and overall did a fantastic job. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, I did too. And that's saying a lot considering that I don't... Yeah, you don't follow basketball, basketball at all. I, no. I should clarify, I'm a casual Mets fan. Casual at best. I enjoy the sport. Don't quiz me on it because I will embarrass myself, but I do like watching the Nets play. All right, don't worry. I won't quiz you. But to bring it back to baseball, I think another really interesting one, and call me biased because I've heard a lot of different stories about him, but Jose Canseco. I would absolutely watch 50 hours of footage 
about him and his life and the kind of shit that he's been up to post baseball too. Have you like listened to any podcasts or read anything about him recently? Well, that that was going to be my first question was, do you think his playing career at this point like pales in comparison to just how batshit insane he is in retirement? Or was he always this crazy? Maybe he was. That's what the documentary would be about. Where did the crazy come from? Did it develop? Or was he always this crazy and he kept it under wraps? And then when he retired and just had all the money in the world and free time, he just went bananas. I think that that is what we would unfold, like a a mystery of sorts Mm. that we would find out. But The Canseco Files. The Canseco Files with Ozzy. (laughs) I forgot that he had that twin brother until so... I don't know if you've ever listened to this podcast. It's, it's called Crime and Sports, and it's with these two comedians, uh, Jimmy Wisman and James Petragallo. Have you ever seen any or listened to any of those episodes at all? No, I'm not it? familiar. Is that like a true crime sports-related podcast thing? Sort of, because Conseco, obviously, you know, it's not like it's true crime, but it's not like, you know, gruesome, like you normally think of a true crime podcast. Right. It's like, you know, Conseco got arrested a few times. For, one time he got arrested because part of his probation was not using steroids and he couldn't do it he <laughs> he couldn't Jose, really we're asking so little of you <laughs> seriously and dude so their episodes are really long like that episode in particular is like probably two and a half three hours long but i would listen to them on my commute it would take me a few days and that episode with jose canseco is one of the funniest podcasts i've ever heard it is hilarious and really interesting and if they can talk about it for three hours there most certainly can be like a highly produced and legit documentary made about Ooh. Jose Canseco that has a few hours of footage to it. It wouldn't just be a one hour and I would absolutely listen to it or watch okay, it rather. I'm, I'm super hooked. What was the name of that podcast again? It's Crime in Sports. And anyone listening, Crime you guys should sports. definitely check it out too. They have a great episode. I've only listened to, they have a, a ton of content, but I've only listened to so far a few of the baseball ones. Like They have a great one. Uh, about Chuck Knobloch, and they have a, another hilarious one about Albert Bell. I know that sounds like I was doing a lame plug, like, oh, what's that What's that podcast name one more time? No, I, I was genuinely writing it down. That's awesome. Crime and sports. Cool. And to really close it out for this this topic anyway, I, well, I might not close it out, but I think we're, I, and I'm surprised that you haven't said this because I was sort of waiting because I didn't want to steal the thunder, but the 86 Mets, I think, would be able to have a great 10-parter. Oh, I, I think that's a no-brainer. I was approaching it from the uh, from the side of what player could you do it about. But if you're going to do the 86 Mets, I think you got to do the rise and fall of Daryl and Doc. Right, which ESPN has already kind of done when they did that 30 for 30 about them, which was right. also really well done. But I think that there's still so much more there for all of them. Because, oh yeah, oh, that yeah. was another great crime and sports episode was about Lenny Dykstra. Because he was a fucking character too. Uh, fucking nails, yeah. Dude, his, <laughs> that episode of crime and sports, you should check out. But I would absolutely watch a documentary that's like five to ten parts about the 86 Mets. I mean, no, there's you, just so you, much content. I, I feel like such a bad Mets fan for not suggesting it. I just, I just didn't realize that we could suggest teams. Because yeah, then 100%. So many freaking personalities, such an interesting team story, you know, even going all the way back to the beginning of the Mets picking up when the Dodgers and the Giants skipped town and, you know, literally being a combination of all the New York teams, you know, evidenced on their jerseys and 
the the 69 World Series, you know, was a crazy story in and of itself. I mean, yeah, you could 100% make a hell of a documentary. And I think that's one of those things where you could you could make 10 episodes out of that. You know, it was the 80s. There was enough footage for sure uh, between radio and, and television interviews and games and all that stuff. I also think that you just touched on something, a good point that I didn't even think of because you sort of brought up like, you know, the 69 Mets that... Obviously, there's a lot of footage about, you know, and a lot of history about the Yankees. And, you know, it's sort of shoved down all of our throats. You know what I mean? Like, especially as a Yankees fan, especially as a Yankees fan. I know other fans feel that way, too. But as a fan, it's almost it's shoved. You're beat over the head with it. That's uh, that's interesting to hear a a big as big a Yankee fan as you are. uh, Admit that. That's interesting because I know I feel that way. Not as a Yankees (laughs) fan. I always kind of wondered. It's like. You know, even for the Yankees fans, like, are they enjoying every second of this or is, is this overkill at some point to them? It was overkill for me from the beginning, but like, do they get sick of it? I guess they do. Yeah. I mean, especially if, you know, to tie it back to what we were talking about before, that the overkill for me comes that there's only so much that I really care about, about for games from 1920, 1927. Like those teams are great. With that being said, obviously, you know, a Yankee one would be great. You know, they have a lot of content. I like the idea of doing like a ten-part Last Stand series, but just about like a um, a franchise, like Ooh. the Mets, like sort of like a, the the expansion teams, like the first round of expansion teams. So now they have you know a pretty pretty long fifty-year history at this point. So it's like I think that especially a team like the Mets that were so strange in that they started out with the worst record of all time, and then only a few years later they won a World Series. And, you know, they had Tom Seaver and they yeah. so all like all the ups and downs of that franchise in particular. And, you know, I, I'm biased because obviously growing up in the area and though I'm not a hardcore Mets fan, I grew up in a house with Mets fans. You know, my, oh, yeah. you obviously my family is Mets fans. So maybe I feel like it's compelling because it's something I've been hearing about while growing up. But other places in the country may not even know necessarily about a lot of the ups and downs of the franchise or even care about it. But that's right. the job of a documentary, right? That it's sort of the crux of the documentary has to be enough like a true crime or in this case a sports documentary that the sports crowd even if they don't necessarily have any interest in the topic per se they're like right. eh, it's sports so i'll watch it i think that the way you do that is you you zoom out a little bit and you make the doc about expansion teams in general make it about the mets the cult 45s into the astros and the expos into the nationals 10 episodes on that I would watch the shit out of. That would be super interesting. You know, the Mets, we already talked about all their ups and downs, but you got the Astros, uh, you know, from the name change to the near success in the 80s. And then the Expos, I mean, that's a story that you could do one just about the Expos, but, you know, from starting in Montreal and then, you know, having that great season in 1994 taken away from them, going down to Washington and then eventual success as the Nationals. I think expansion teams would make a great documentary. And then you avoid that problem of, oh, this is just about the Mets. This is just about, you know, it's about multiple teams. It's about the whole expansion era. And you could do like a setup episode of like, hey, this is, you know, a quick review of baseball up to this point. Now it's, you know, the late 50s, early 60s. Teams are moving out west. How is the league going to respond? And then you go from there. That would be great. Now that we've mastered the podcast at all four episodes, we have to move on to film production (laughs) because this is a great idea. It's the next logical step for you. Will DJ Bingington be able to edit and produce this next venture for us? Yeah, let's just add to his workload wantonly. (laughs) So now it's funny because I always really like, we could segue nicely into Expos. Not only do I feel like they've been gone for a lot longer than 
they have. I mean, I'm dating myself big time here because obviously they have been not a team. What was that? 2000 was our last season or something like that. And that was when I was in high school. But I don't even remember them from that time. Isn't that so funny that like they were like so not a part of my memory. Oh, dude, that a team of mine so i like feel like they've been gone for since like before i was born that's because you're a yankee fan emster i mean i can remember at least five if not more games where i went to see the expos play the mets because you know they were all in the same division um right. so i i was very much aware when the expos left for washington and uh i remember seeing all those pictures of the empty stadium in montreal then the uh the nationals coming and the uniforms being hideous which actually kind of segues into uh all-time favorite jerseys. Do we have time for that? Absolutely. That's right. actually why I even brought up the Expo, so very nicely. I know, yeah, we should, we should do a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I had initially suggested this idea just to get the ball rolling. Uh, I had read an interview where Pete Alonso, I don't know when the interview took place, presumably this year. Pete Alonso from the Mets was talking about how he wants the, uh, the late 90s Mets black jerseys back. And I could not agree more. That was the first jersey I ever owned was a black number five David Wright Mets jersey. So many cool memories. And it's funny because he's getting opposition. I mean, not, not that that not that it's like a completely outspoken thing, but they were saying that he was getting some opposition from uh, apparently the front office isn't a big fan. Howie Rose, our main radio broadcaster, is like a super old school guy. So he's all, oh, well, you know, the Mets are white and blue and orange, and that's just the way it is. It's like, well, yeah, but... We were really good in the late 90s and we wore black and it was awesome and I was a kid and, you know, why can't we have that back? So, yeah, I, I wanted to talk about some of our, both our favorites. And I'm, I'm thinking here mainly like alternate jerseys. You know, like we can all agree like some of the classics, like, you know, the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Cubs, like some of those uniforms are just timeless and everybody knows it. I'm talking about like some of, some of the maybe off the beaten path stuff that teams tried, some of which wound up being fucking awesome, and some of it wound up being completely tragic. It's funny, because any, like, when you look, obviously, it's all uh, subjective, right? You know, people saying, like, ranking what their favorite jerseys are, but one of them that's consistently at the bottom is one of my favorite, like, especially lately, the Arizona Diamondbacks, not the purple joints from, like, the early 2000s. Those were horrible, and I love purple. Yo, but, this is on my list for the worst, too. Keep going, keep going. Oh, my God. But, no, this is one of my favorites, is recently there. Oh, no. Like, oh, we disagree on something. Go ahead. <laughs> that dark gray. I oh. love those dark grays with that oh. teal and, like, the oh. fade. Oh, it's so good. I oh, think it looks so, so sharp. Oh, please. Okay. What's your favorite? Um, I could I could swear to God that I had a conversation with you a couple of years ago where we were both making fun of those uniforms. No, um, you're thinking I'm, of the their home jerseys that had like the faded red shoulders. Those we were making fun of because I said that they looked like uh, league softball jerseys. Those their homes I don't totally like. Do. They're they're away that dark gray. Because uh, I'm also partial no. to the away. I like the. Uh, like the pinstripes are great, blah, blah, blah. But I love the Yankee away jerseys and their away uniforms, that solid gray with just a New York. So I always like that dark gray. And one of the reasons that I, the Mets, the all black, the blacks are nice, but I hate two-tone look. I hate the different color bottoms with like a different color top. Oh, I never see, I like that. that. It no, might see, be too much my, like Little League shit. My exact problem is with that shade of gray. Because like I you you go back to the Yankees you mentioned their away uniforms those are classics those are great same as the Mets use a very similar shade of gray that's what an away uniform is supposed to look like like my issue with the Diamondbacks is not the teal I love those kind of colors on you know I'm a, I'm a 90s kid I love teal and you know colors that shouldn't belong there that was a big thing in the 90s I keep thinking back to like the uh, 
like the Charlotte Hornets. Like they, they were like oh, purple and like teal. I yeah, love that, that starter stuff. jacket. Was that was like Yo. the starter jacket to have? Yeah, that, right. That I, teal Hornets every, starter jacket. I feel like in elementary school, at least one kid in every class wore that in like 1997 or eight. But yeah, no. So my problem is that shade of gray. I don't like that dark. I don't know, man. It just I get that it makes the teal pop more. Oh, but pops so nice. It, it looks like they're wearing like pajamas or something. I, it just doesn't do it for me. Well, and you know what? I like it because obviously that gray is classic. But that's the problem is that my fucking little league pants that I had to like line up, you know, in height order to get yeah. were that same color gray. And it's like, all right, like this is such this has so been done at this point now that every pair of baseball pants at Dick Sporting Goods is that color gray. And it's just like such like a it reminds me of like a 70s like gym teacher who's wearing like the polyester shorts <laughs> that are like those baseball pants, but like cut at the thigh. Yeah, those yeah. things are like gray. So like that's why I kind of like this new gray because gray is one of those colors that's really tough to like update. It's fucking gray. So like I appreciate that there's like, oh, this is still gray, but kind of different. <laughs> this is what I'm, this is the hill I'm dying on is baseball away team gray. Um, no, but like I think I guess I, I view it as away gray in quotation marks is uh, is the template. And then you fuck with that. Right. So right. like I think, I think another one of the problems I have is I liked the old Arizona uniform so much when they had the purple and the green. I thought that was badass, man. Like when they won that series in uh, was it oh one they won right? Never heard of it. Oh right, okay, so that's correct then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like I loved those jerseys. So then when they come out with these new ones, and also like how your home jersey, which we agree is bad, you have white and red, and then on your away it's this dark gray with teal like. Pick a lane, Diamondbacks. What are you doing? I found an interesting pattern when I was ranking my uniforms in that my top three were all West Coast teams. Where the Dodgers, the A's, and the Giants. I love the cream color home jerseys. Like, yes. That is so tight looking to me, especially with like that stadium and brick and it's right on the water like that. Like, there's just, they just, it really ties in the whole room. Dude. The Mets did the cream jerseys like the Giants for exactly one season as one of their alternates, and it was so sexy, and they I have not seen it since. It looked so good. I love that cream for home. And I guess that undermines my previous point where I'm like, you're the away team. There's a specific shade of gray. It's like, oh, you're home. Oh, you, you want an off-white? Yeah, okay, that's fine. But I, I genuinely don't have a problem with it. It looks awesome. I feel you, though, because it... It is a little different, and especially because the cream is classic, whereas the the new alternate gray that we were talking about is like new age, right. where now this cream, you know, like they the giant like robots jerseys. Thing. <laughs> robots. All right, John, we get it. You don't like the gray. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I've made my point, I guess. Okay, fine. So, well, Arizona then kind of segues into, I realized as I was thinking about this, there's a class of jerseys that I don't like, and it's jerseys without sleeves. What do you think about that? Oh, my God. No, I hate those. Horrible, right? Last year or two years ago when the uh, Reds didn't wear the T-shirt underneath. So it was just like the vest jersey with their guns out. I did like that. Which then that connects to one of my other least favorites. Well, I'm really leading in on the least favorites. I, I do have favorites, people. I promise. I'll get to them. Another one of my least favorites is this is a really specific one. Do you remember? Well, you don't remember. But have you seen in the late or mid to late 70s, the White Sox played a season or two in like collared shirts and shorts, like legitimate shorts, like above the knee oh, shorts. Oh yeah, I remember that. That, I don't think it's up for debate, is the worst baseball uniform in MLB history. 
I think I can agree with that. Now hit us right. with your your best. Yeah, definitely some bias here, but fuck it, I'm going for it. Those 86 Astros, the rainbow jerseys, they're super polarizing. Some people love them, some people hate them. Love them. I think that's an awesome design. Obviously, John and I can talk about this probably for a whole nother episode. So maybe we'll have a, a part two someday to really delve into the other teams because we oh, have are a you lot kidding to say. Me? We haven't talked about the Padres camo yet, Emily. We're, we're doing this again. Oh, yes. So this is only part one of right. Emily and John's <laughs> Jersey Jersey talk. We're going to have to come up with something better than that. The Jersey but, um, Odyssey. Oh, Jersey Odyssey. So before we close it out, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to the Bleacher Creatures podcast that's presented by Elite Sports New York. I had the opportunity to be a guest spot on the show with hosts James Kelly and Allison Case, who are two uh, prominent members of Yankees Twitter. We had a great time. We talked about Gary Sanchez. We talked a lot about Clint Frazier and just about everything and anything in between. It was it was a great hour. Time flew by like you wouldn't believe. So people, if you're listening to this, go over and give them a listen. It, they're both really knowledgeable and funny and also give Allison's TikTok videos a listen, a listen, a watch, uh, if you can. See, that's how old I am. I even said that to them. I was like, I feel like I, I missed the window on TikTok because I'm like too old, but I can't dance either. So I'm even yeah. saying, listen to what TikTok you watch. So it, it was never awesome. meant for you in the first place. And also no. briefly, while, while I'm already interrupting, uh, I don't know them, but thank you to James and Allison for helping Emily get all the Yankees talk out of her system. It, it really makes for a, a more pleasant Thursday evenings here on Breaking Balls. Yeah, it gave me a lot more to talk about, especially it gave me more time to talk about those gray uniforms. I, I was able to really just, you know, campaign for them really a lot harder. really into the gray this week, yeah. And they have Yankee talk going on all the time on their Twitter, so you can check them out at James is at J. Kelly, E-S-N-Y, and Allison is at that N-Y-Y chick. And that really uh, does it for this week. Of course, you can find us on Twitter at mshedoesit and you can email us at mshedoesit at gmail.com and hopefully John will get a Twitter account soon so we'll be able to shout him out too and of course I want to thank our amazing producer at DJ Bingington on Twitter DJ Bingington he is what makes the magic happen so thanks for listening everybody and we'll catch you next week misdemeanor on the floor pretty boy here I come pumps in the bump make you wanna hurt something I can take your man I don't have to sex something hang him out the window